Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is Where We Live. I'm John Denkoski. President Obama called on both parties in Congress to send him an immigration reform package, saying in his State of the Union address that now is the time to get it done. Leaders from the business, labor, law enforcement, faith communities, they all agree that the time has come to pass comprehensive immigration reform. Now's the time to do it. He's vowed to let Congress do its work, but in the last few days, we've also learned the president has crafted his own proposal. Meanwhile, in Connecticut, groups are pushing for reform after passage of a bill that allows the children of undocumented immigrants to get in-state tuition rates. Another plan looks to extend them financial aid. There's also a move to make state driver's licenses available for undocumented immigrants, too. Of course, a lot of the big attention to immigration in the state has happened at the town level. We'll check in on Danbury, New Haven, and East Haven, which have all made the news around this issue. We're talking about immigration today on Where We Live and later today on the Colin McEnroe Show on WNPR. I hope you can join us, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. When you hear the president talk about comprehensive immigration reform, what does that mean to you where you live? I want to bring in first Senator Richard Blumenthal, who joins us by phone today. He's actually on a trade mission in France, and uh, he's good enough to join us for a few minutes uh, on the phone. And, Senator, welcome to the program. Wonderful to be with you, John. I'm on my way back after 36 hours here and some very, very promising meetings with Airbus, a major manufacturer of uh, the latest airplanes, including the 850, which is a competitor of Boeing's 787, and I think the nine companies that have come with me on this trip may have some major opportunities ahead in providing more exports and therefore more jobs in Connecticut. Well, maybe in the coming weeks we might get a chance to sit down and talk about that a bit more. I'd like to talk about immigration, though, and I know that this is something that's been on the forefront of your mind. When you see the President of the United States standing up in the State of the Union saying it's time now to pass comprehensive immigration reform, saying that uh, he wants both parties to, to get together, and indeed knowing that people are on both sides of the aisle trying to get something done, what does that say to you, Senator, and where do you think this is all headed? I think we have a rare, maybe unique, historic opportunity here to really achieve fundamental, comprehensive, accountable reform. The reason is very simply that not only are Republicans and Democrats heading in that direction, but also an an array of interest groups. Businesses believe very strongly that we need more visas for the highly skilled H-1B present recipients who staff their computers and other high-tech operations. The labor groups of the country are in agreement that we need to rationalize and reform the system so as to make it fairer to the constituents that they serve. And obviously, Americans as a whole believe that the system is dysfunctional and broken as it is. We have 11 million undocumented people in the country, including those dreamers whom you mentioned earlier. I've fought long and hard. So has Marty Looney as state senator for the DREAM Act at the state level that provides financial assistance for their education. But the system really cannot be reformed. They can't be provided with the certainty and security they need unless they are given an expedited path to earned 
citizenship, and they're earning it right now by being in school, by serving in the military. They've brought, been brought here at ages when they are very young, some infants, six years old, and America's the only land they know, the only nation where they've lived, where their friends are, the only language they speak is English, and every day, every week, what I try to do on the floor of the United States Senate is talk about a dreamer with a photograph of each one separately, but also their parents. And the 11 million undocumented immigrants here also should be provided with a path to earned citizenship. And the word earned has to be underscored. And that's another reason why I think, why I think that we have a fundamental and historic opportunity, because people are gradually coming to the view that an earned path to citizenship really makes sense from the standpoint of fairness and also providing diversity to the country, which is our strength. We're a nation of immigrants and sources of labor, taxes, and so forth. And the details of that earned citizenship are very important, but they have to include stronger enforcement at the borders, a crackdown on employers who illegally hire undocumented immigrants, and of course, background checks and other measures to make sure that people are not going to be provided with citizenship unless they earn it. Well, I, I think that there are a lot of the the pieces of this earned citizenship that Democrats, the, the president himself, and the Republicans seemingly agree on. This idea of securing the borders before anything is to happen is something that seems a bit murky. What does that mean exactly to you, Senator Blumenthal? How do we secure our borders as a provision to make sure that we can move forward with, uh, with this pathway for people who are already living here? Understand, first of all, that we've come a long way in securing our borders at substantial financial cost, but the physical fences, systems of surveillance, other means of detecting illegal immigration have progressed enormously. And the people who agree on that point are the public officials at those borders, as well as the experts in the Department of Homeland Security and others like myself who've tried to follow it closely. So the, the details of how to verify it are not completely finalized, but essentially it means continuing the progress that we've made and having some verification that that progress is continuing and that we've reached a point where we really have secured the borders. And, of course, one very helpful point of fact is that there are fewer people coming from Mexico, especially on our southern border, to the United States because of the economic progress there and also regrettably the recession here. So there may be a diminished flow of illegal immigration. But the other part of enforcement has to be against employers who take advantage and exploit undocumented workers. I've formed a caucus in the United States Senate on human trafficking, which includes sex exploitation of minors, of young people who are brought across the border as a sex trafficking trade, and stopping that illegal employment uh, will also help raise the, the bar, so to speak, on employment standards. So it, hmm. enforcement has to be a multi-track endeavor. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal joins us by phone today as we consider immigration and immigration reform on our program and also on the Colin McEnroe Show coming up later today 
at 1 o'clock here on WNPR. I want to bring in our guests who are in studio with us today. State Senator Martin Looney uh, has worked on a number of these issues over the years, and he joins us here. Uh, State Senator, welcome to our program. Thank you so much. Good to be with you today, John. And uh, also I wanted to uh, uh, say good morning to Senator Blumenthal, who has certainly been a strong uh, advocate on uh, DREAM Act legislation, both during his time as Attorney General of Connecticut and for the last two years as United States Senator. Thank you, Marty. I, I also want to welcome Diane Alverio, who's the publisher of ctlatinonews.com, who's joined us in the program uh, in the past, and uh, her, her publication covers uh, an awful lot of these issues. You can find ctlatinonews.com, English language coverage of uh, uh, issues of, of the Hispanic community. And Diane, welcome back to our show. Thank you so much. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. And hello, Senator. Both senators. <laughs> Good morning, Diane. Thanks well, for all your great work, too, thanks. on this. Well, and I'll actually, I'll start with Diane Ovario. And so, it, because we're going to, later on in the program, after Senator Blumenthal leaves us, we're going to be focusing on what's happening at the state level and in some of the towns and cities around here. But give us your take on what you're hearing out of Washington right now. You seem to have a bipartisan group of people. Marco Rubio has, has certainly gotten his name very much into the mix. We have people like Richard Blumenthal, who's leading a charge on one side. The president says he has his own plan. Um, what do you hear out of Washington, and do you think it's going to be this comprehensive reform that everyone's been waiting for? Well, I, I do believe... Well, I, a quick, I'm just asking Diane Ovario quickly. Yep. I do believe, though, and I would uh, agree with Senator Blumenthal, the time has come. The time has definitely come. Will it be comprehensive? Well, obviously, I don't have a crystal ball. But I have to tell you, just four or five years ago, when New Haven came up with the, uh, the IDs for uh, the undocumented immigrants there, people thought that was radical. That was in 2007. People thought, oh, my God, there are a bunch of socialists in New Haven. The, the tide has, you know, the tide has turned. Totally different. There will be some sort of... Um, uh, reform what it will be, you know. Obviously, who knows at this point? But the uh, I know here in Connecticut and across the nation, mm. the Latinos across the nation, whether we're directly impacted by this, I'm Puerto Rican. Many people are not impacted by this at all. It's a human justice issue. It's just wrong. We don't do things like that in this country. And what Arizona did, and what some of the hardliners have done for the, over the years, has really turned the tide. Where people who were quiet before, standing on the sidelines before, are saying no more now. Uh, Martin Looney, how about you? Uh, obviously, for any immigration reform to work, it has to happen to a certain extent at the federal level. States are hamstrung by the fact that you you can't exactly do anything about quote unquote securing the border. There's an awful lot of things you. Can can't control. How much do you at the state level have to wait for Washington to get its act together and pass this comprehensive plan? Well, we're certainly hoping for long overdue uh, action at the federal level. But in the meantime, there are uh, some things that progressive states can do. For instance, in, in Connecticut two years ago, we passed the uh, in-state tuition bill that allows that uh, uh, undocumented students who were raised in Connecticut, who graduated from high school in Connecticut, uh, can qualify for in-state tuition at our public colleges and universities. That was a bill that first was passed in 2007, was vetoed by then-Governor Rell, uh, but was strongly supported by Governor Malloy when we passed it in, uh, in 2011. This year, uh, I'm hopeful that we can take um, action on a bill to provide uh, for uh, driver's licenses for uh, for undocumented uh, uh, residents in our state. Uh, the state of Illinois passed a bill earlier this year. There are now four states that have that legislation, uh, New Mexico, Washington, and Utah, in addition to uh, Illinois. So there are some things that can be done at the state level, but overall, of course, the comprehensive issue has to be dealt with at the federal level. Uh, Richard Blumenthal, what are the, the big sticking points right now that you see in order to get something done? I mean, are are there particular roadblocks that are going to hold, uh, hold up the Republicans and the Democrats coming together on an 
actual package of reforms that we can agree on? As always, John, uh, and especially as Marty, a uh, longtime advocate on this subject, and Diane, who knows enormous amounts about it and have advocated for it strongly, the devil is often in the details. And we have the prospect of a coalition. I've been working with Senator Schumer and others, a very small group, uh, Senator Bennett of Colorado, Senator Menendez of New Jersey, but also Republicans uh, like Marco Rubio. And uh, I've worked with a bill on a bill with Orrin Hatch of Utah, Republican, uh, ordinarily regarded as conservative, to bring more people with high skills, enable them to have more H-1B visas, especially important to Connecticut businesses. But those details are very important. Uh, for example, deciding what exactly constitute the earned, as in earned citizenship. I believe it ought to be a check on criminal backgrounds to make sure we're not going to be keeping people here that uh, have uh, serious criminal offenses in their background. Also, uh, going to the back of the line, learning English and other civics, as uh, many are doing and many do, paying back taxes and even a, a penalty. These kinds of details are important, and we have to recognize, uh, even though uh, some of those details may, may be unpalatable, and some of them perhaps should be should be eliminated, that the working out the details is very important. And, you know, I think bringing people out of the shadows, let's recognize, and we have a major education campaign ahead of us, that most Americans uh, have immigrants in their background. We are a nation of immigrants. Our diversity strengthens us. And allowing people to come out of the shadows, be productive, pay taxes, and be part of uh, our society, many already pay taxes, by the way, is to all our advantage. In fact, uh, people with criminal backgrounds uh, will be revealed for what they are. So I think it is a combination of working out the details and really educating people as to what it really is so that they're somewhat mm. less fearful about it. Uh, Diane? Yes. Uh, he's, uh, the senator's talking about the details, and the details are what's fueling the politics behind all of this. And if we take a step back from the politics, why are the hardliners so strongly opposed to this? And, you know, I, I see it in CT Latino News whenever we post an immigration story. I see it on national sites where the comments are just a reflection of a misperception. There's incorrect information about who are these people. I mean, some of the comments that you see, not only on our site, but around the country, are that, well, you know, they're coming and they're working on what they want welfare, they want this. This is incorrect information. Many of these people live in the shadows. We did a story not long ago in New Haven where immigrants were being targeted because they carry cash on them. Be, and so people, uh, you know, young, you know, criminals see them as ATMs, so to speak. Which was a, a part of the reason that this, this ID card in New Haven was put into place originally, because exactly. so many people were being held up for cash. They This would allow them to get a bank account so they could put their cash someplace safe. Exactly. So folks are living in the shadow. They're not availing themselves of the, all of these services that everyone thinks, oh my goodness, they're going to take all this away. So the bottom line is there's a lot of incorrect information out there and a lot of misperceptions about who undocumented uh, immigrants are. Well, for instance, Martin Looney, you know, you worked for a number of years on this Dream Act in Connecticut, this idea that you'd be able to get uh, uh, children of undocumented immigrants 
to be able to get schooling here at in-state tuition rates. So it seems like to some people a very small thing, to other people a very, very large thing. And it was fought, as you say, vetoed, uh, in part because people said, well, these, these folks will be taking the places of hardworking Connecticut residents, uh, people who grew up here, whose families are here legally. How many people have actually availed themselves of this? Have, has there been a, a flood of applicants, people coming to, uh, to get in-state tuition rates after this uh, law passed? Well, there have been quite a few, especially at the community college level and also at the Connecticut State University uh, level, probably a smaller number at UConn uh, uh, to this point. But it is having uh, an effect. Uh, uh, I've also worked with uh, Father James Manship of St. Rose of Lima uh, Parish in uh, New Haven, my uh, my home parish, uh, who has been an advocate on this issue as well and actually has been working with a number of of students who are parishioners there to try to help them uh, attend uh, private universities. In some cases, they're eligible for uh, for scholarship aid at private universities. And, and that is a case where these are hardworking young people raised in Connecticut. Many of them have no memory of life anywhere except in Connecticut. They were brought here as infants or very young children. They're hardworking, motivated people who really are pursuing the American dream. And we cannot afford uh, to deny opportunities to people who are well motivated to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, the, uh, there was a quote from Terry uh, Carbaugh, who was the vice chancellor of the California uh, Community College System that we cited when the bill, our bill was passed two years ago. And she said that the higher the number of degree holders in living in our state, the more likely we are to meet future workforce demands. And that really uh, sums it up in a nutshell, that uh, uh, finding ways to, to motivate people who are prepared for and ready for higher education to secure that education and be prepared to make future contributions to our society is in all of our benefits, not just in the benefit of the students who, who will take advantage of the program. That's uh, State Senator Martin Looney. We're also here with Diane Alvario from CT Latino News. We're going to have to take a break, and I want to let uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who joined us by phone today, go, because I know you've got to catch a flight. Senator, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Great to talk to you, and thank you for your good work, and most especially to the advocates like uh, Marty Looney and uh, Diane Alvario, who uh, have been steadfast at the state level. And, you know, uh, I hope we do make progress because it is a unique opportunity to enable these people to come out of the shadows. And uh, we are a nation of immigrants. We should be proud of it and provide everyone with a path to earn citizenship. And thank you so much. Look forward to talking to you when I get back. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal here on Where We Live. We're going to take a break. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. Email wherewelive at wnpr.org, or you can tweet us at Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Today we're talking about immigration, both on our program and on the Colin McEnroe Show. The president has called for comprehensive immigration reform, something that people in both parties in Washington are trying to take up. People here on the ground in Connecticut are working toward immigration reform as well. And so we're checking in on the federal, on the state, and also in the town level coming up in just a few moments. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. What does comprehensive immigration reform mean to you? 860-275-7266. Jackie's in Southington. Hey, Jackie, go ahead. You're on Where We Live. Hi. Thank you for having me on. I have some comments to make. Okay. Um, I am a resident of Southington, Connecticut, and a member of United Action Connecticut, which is a group of people in faith communities across the state and also some non-governmental agencies. And I believe one of your uh, guests today 
has been uh, involved in a forum that we had in December at our church in Meriden, the Unitarian Universalist Church. We had a forum there, and I was in charge of the uh, meal for that event. I am now um, assisting with the group of immigrants at um, in New Britain um, who are having a forum on March 9th at St. Mark's Episcopal Church, and I have been in organizing meetings with this group of about 25 immigrant individuals, people who do not have papers but have been living in this country and working hard, very hard, to um, to give their families what they need. They are not criminals. They are human beings. They have children who have aspirations like my young adult children have. I am the product of an immigrant Italian family who came here in steerage at the beginning of the 20th century and the 19th century. This is, this is, um, this is such an important issue, and it's being politicized at the national level and, of course, at the state level. But we have to get beyond that, mm. as some of your guests are saying, and move forward. Um, I am suspect of um, Rubio's... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, please continue. I apologize. I hit the wrong... You, you're saying you're suspect of Rubio's... Continue, Jackie? I, I believe he is um, now involved, and even though he is a Cuban-American... His intention is not the same as that of Senator Blumenthal's and Senator Murphy's and some of our um, legislative representatives in our state. Hey, hey, Jackie, the only thing the only thing that I'll just caution you against is I'm not sure that you necessarily might be able to to say what his intention is. Right. I mean, you don't um, know. I can only say that um, I believe he has aspirations for running for the presidency, and that is why he's trying to pull in the Latino vote. Well, I, and I think uh, you, you may have something there. I, I know very uh, nodding your head. Look, I mean, you know, the political aspect of this in Washington, and maybe not so much in Connecticut, but the pol political aspect of this in Washington is very, very important. We've heard uh, for the last several months that Republicans uh, saw, the, uh, saw the writing on the wall and said, hey, look, uh, Hispanics didn't vote for us uh, this last time. Uh, we maybe need to change that. And now we have uh, this this new uh, tactic. That all being said, that is why things happen in Washington, after all. And I think that no matter how it happens, uh, if it if it heads in this direction, I think uh, someone like our caller probably wouldn't be that un unhappy, right? Oh, I absolutely <laughs> agree. But let me just say, the Tea Party, we ran a story, as a matter of fact, it's up today. The Tea Party has now decided to recruit Latino members. And I have to tell you, every once in a while I'll read something and I just think, my goodness, <laughs> you shake your head. But, you know, it, it's so key, and your caller mentioned uh, Senator Rubio. And let's just chat about him for a moment if we can. You know, it will be very helpful in this discussion in Washington across the country if we can focus on facts and not incorrect information. Uh, not long ago, uh, I guess it was Time Magazine, uh, did a profile on Rubio, the savior, I guess. And his mother was quoted as saying, the pobrecitos. And it was so patronizing. And I thought, my goodness, putting him out there, and I, you know, I'm sure he has wonderful qualities, putting Senator Rubio out there, to many Latinos, it's like selecting Sarah Palin because Barack Obama was the Democratic nominee. Well, let's put somebody out there. And that this pobrecitos term, I have to tell you, if I've heard so many comments on it, in terms of such an aristocratic sort of attitude, uh, in terms of they're not equals then. 
mm. when you when you use a term like that. So I don't know that Senator Rubio will make that impact. That perhaps the part there, his party is hoping. That's not what I'm seeing. That's not what I'm hearing. I, I want to get to one more phone call from a listener here. Jim's calling from North Haven. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning. Um, as someone who would probably be considered a quote hardliner, uh, just a couple, two comments. Absolutely. Uh, number one. Uh, I, I wish that race wouldn't come up in any of this because I thought we were trying to move beyond that. So where, where, somebody's, where someone is born and where they come from, I don't think should play a role in public policy. And number two, um, I think many hardliners object to a lot of things like licenses for undocumented aliens, et cetera, because it's against the law. So if the law is flawed, we should change the law in a meaningful, methodical way that's clear and transparent and then enforce the law. And, and I wish people would put their efforts in that direction rather than pushing a, a local agenda or an individual agenda. Let's let's rule by law. Well, and actually, yeah, a very good point. Let me go to Senator Martin Looney about that, because some of these these things, that's what you're trying to do. That's exactly what we are trying to do. This There are certain things that can be done within state law. As I said earlier, Illinois uh, is the most recent state to pass uh, a driver's licenses for undocumented immigrants. That's what we're hoping to do in Connecticut. And there's a very significant public policy reason for doing so, which is that uh, many of the uh, these undocumented uh, residents want to be able to drive legally, want to be able to purchase insurance, uh, want to be able to get driver training classes, to be safer on the highway. Right now, what happens when uh, undocumented people are involved in an accident, uh, the costs are, are displaced onto the uh, insurance policy of the other driver because through underinsured or underinsured coverage. And uh, there have been estimates that were we to pass this law in, uh, in Connecticut, we would have several beneficial effects, one of which would be Connecticut driver's licenses would uh, generate about $2 million in revenue for the state in, in terms of licenses for uh, for folks. Also, more people would buy insurance and register their vehicles. And there's been an estimate in the state of New Mexico that there was a 23% drop uh, in fatal accidents since the law was enacted because now people are participating uh, in driver uh, uh, driver education programs. And also in New Mexico, the percentage of uninsured motorists fell from about 32% to 9%. So these are all very good reasons uh, for passing this law in Connecticut. And it is within the power of the callers that do it by law. Well, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, and, uh, Diane, there's a, uh, a piece just uh, today in CT Latina News about this if you want to read more. Yeah, no, well, obviously, the whole license piece, we, it's an obvious solution. It's an obvious solution. Uh, the undocumented immigrants are an integral part of our economy as it is, and this would add on to that. According to the, the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy, it's a nonpartisan research firm, here in Connecticut alone, undocumented uh, workers uh, contribute $75 million in sales tax, $31 million in property tax. Here we are looking at this budget deficit that is out of control. Why are we uh, trying to eliminate a group of people from contributing financially to the economy? And they already are. They're part of the economy, but con continue to increase their contribution to our state economy. Well, and also a very important thing that uh, Senator Blumenthal mentioned before and something we might talk a bit more about during the course of this hour is that we've seen uh, stories uh, 
in Danbury, members of the Brazilian population starting to get up and leave because the because uh, whether or not it's attitudes toward immigration or whether or not it has something to do with the economy here in Connecticut, all of a sudden, if it's not such a great place to live, people are going to move away. And that's been the real growth area for, for the state of Connecticut. Our growth has been in our immigrant population. But I have to tell you, that is a fascinating, fascinating point right there, a fascinating story. What we sometimes forget about in this country is that there are other parts of the world that have good economies, very strong economies. We still, too many of us still come from the frame of reference of that we're the strongest world power in terms of the economy. Brazil has this thriving, and we know this, we've read this everywhere, a thriving, thriving economy. And what's happening not only is that um, unwelcome mad out, but the economy is much stronger in Brazil. So there is a reverse flow of people. I, I want to uh, let our listeners know we're talking about immigration and immigration reform today on the program and also on the Colin McEnroe show. President Obama, of course, made this a key part of his State of the Union address. And so we're talking about some of the possibilities happening at the federal, at the state, and also at the local level. Uh, we're taking your calls at 860-275-7266. Let's quickly go to Derek in Windsor before we move on. Derek, hi, go ahead. You're on where we live. John, how are you, man? I've spoken to you in a while, but let me just say, and this is nothing new, there's a lot of things in Washington that has been politicized, and the immigration reform is just another one. And, you know, my whole idea is that there are some people in America here that doesn't want to see the country progress, and they're, all they're doing is standing in the way. Don't tell me that Americans are sending people to space, and a, a thing like immigration reform is such a challenge. So... That's just my comment, and I agree with the lady that talked about Rubio. I think the, the Republicans are the ones standing in the way. They don't want this president to look good, and the people that are suffering are just the, the poor people, the immigrants. Mm. You know, so uh, uh, that, that's really just my comment, John. Well, uh, Derek, thank you for the call. Always good to hear from you. You can join us as well, 860-275-7266. Uh, I'm going to bring in Camilo uh, Bortoleto, uh, who is policy coordinator for Connecticut Students for a Dream. Uh, she just uh, wandered into our studios here, and it's so good, so good to see you. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, I, I know we were talking earlier with uh, Senator Looney about another piece of legislation uh, that uh, is being talked about at the state capitol. Mm -hmm. I know that you are working very hard on yet another piece of legislation having to do with the with the DREAM Act, having to do with what got passed already. Maybe you can go through the piece of legislation that you're working hard on. Yes. Um, so here in Connecticut in 2011, you know, we were very lucky to be the 11th state, I believe, to pass in state tuition for undocumented immigrants. Oh, this will be you benefit students who came here when they were young to be able to pay the lower in-state tuition rate at public colleges and universities. But what we found over the past really two years since the in-state tuition bill is that college is still very expensive, not only for, you know, obviously Americans and citizens, but especially for immigrants and especially undocumented immigrants. Because as an undocumented student, and I am one, um, you don't qualify for any federal assistance, non-state assistance, and very limited scholarships. So our solution is to open up a segment of financial aid that we call institutional aid. And basically, in the state of Connecticut, the Board of Regents, there's a regulation that states that 15% of tuition revenue is supposed to be redistributed as need-based aid. But undocumented students, even though we pay into this pool of money by paying tuition, we don't get any access to it because we're undocumented. So what we're trying to do is to open up this pool of money to you know undocumented students who have been here in Connecticut for 
during the four years of high school. And, now, is this something that has been passed in other states? So th- this law that we passed last year is something that other states had done. Yes. Uh, have other states extended this financial aid opportunity? Yes, so each state is a little bit different. So far, there are four states. I believe California, Texas, New Mexico, and Illinois, I believe, are the four states that have done something similar. Um, but each state differs a bit. Connecticut, or the bill that we're going after, is really one of the more conservative, conservative bills. Uh, Martin Looney, so uh, tell us a little bit more about this piece of legislation and, and if you think that this is something that will have a, an easier time of getting through than, than this last piece of legislation, which took a number of years. Well, I think that be- it becomes a function of our uh, of our whole budget process. I certainly support this. I think it is the next step uh, in terms of uh, helping people to take advantage of the, the law that we passed in uh, uh, in 2011, but still find financial hardships. Uh, of course, it relates to the overall large question of college being so expensive for uh, for everyone, and the cost of tuition uh, and uh, college attendance in general have. Uh, uh, have accelerated at a, a pace far greater than the general cost of inflation over the last 30 or 40 years. But uh, but I think we should certainly uh, move in this direction this year and try to uh, uh, open the door a little bit wider for deserving students in this category. Are, are there any other pieces of legislation at the state level before we move on to some of the towns and cities that we should take a look at, uh, at least in this conversation, when it r- regards immigration reform? Well, I think the two uh, major uh, initiatives this year, I think the driver's license bill that we, uh, that we spoke about is, uh, is, uh, is one, and the uh, uh, expanding the opportunities for for aid is the other. I think those are the two uh, the two items that we'll be looking at this year. Uh, the, the driver's license one, I think, is uh, uh, is one that has quite a bit of momentum now because having just recently passed in uh, in Illinois, and also because this one is one that will also financially benefit the state, both in terms of registration fees, license fees, and also, uh, in fact, selling more insurance policies uh, in the state. Uh, also, as you mentioned, uh, uh, at the municipal level, I think that. Uh, that really does point out how we do have such a different level of response from one municipality as opposed to another. The the contrast between the uh, uh, the uh, uh, the registration cards or the, uh, the the resident cards in New Haven as opposed to the the Danbury policy of in effect uh, trying to uh, convert the Danbury police into immigration enforcement agents uh, couldn't be a wider gulf within within a single state. I am wondering, because we want to move to checking in on some towns before we take our next break. There's a lot more to talk about. If you want to join us, 860-275-7266. I know, Camilla, you, you're from the Danbury area. I guess I'm wondering, from your standpoint, before we check in uh, with some colleagues who are taking a look at uh, East Haven and New Haven, how you think this immigration issue has played out in Danbury over the course of the last couple of years, because there has been this uh, this ICE enforcement action. There has been certainly a very different attitude taken by the... the um, municipal government in Danbury than in other towns in the state. What's been the overall impact, do you think, of for immigrants there? Yeah, well, if I could just first say something about the institutional aid bill, one last thing. Sure, So certainly. right now, it doesn't look like our financial aid bill will be moving forward because today is the last, today's the deadline for the higher ed committee to take action, and it doesn't look like they're going to do that. So, but we are going to be doing a small action at the Capitol, the legislative office building, if anybody would like to join us. But, um, and that's happening today. That's happening today at noon at the Capitol. But in terms of Danbury, I think over the past um, five years, since 2008, it's been very controversial. I think it started in 2008, the 287G partnership between ICE and the police department. And I think, well, speaking about the numbers of people they have actually gotten with the 287G program, it's been relatively small. So I think the biggest damage has been between the trust between the immigrant community and the government of Danbury and the police department. A lot of people are still scared of, you know, 
of the police department in them. We, they're scared of reporting crimes. And I think that has one of the biggest factors that has driven a lot of immigrants out of Denver. So the immigrant population has gone down, and you know, businesses in Denver have been hurting. But I think there's still a very big climate of, of fear in Denver that, well, I've been working in like the immigrant rights movement for the past, I think, year and a half. And what I've seen is that the people in Denver are much more scared and hesitant to actually get involved in fighting for the immigrant rights than in other parts, say as in New Haven, where people are much more, you know, likely to speak out. Well, let's go to New Haven, and uh, we're joined on the phone now by Ana Maria Forestieri, who's an analyst for the Junta for Progressive Action, and they've been working uh, for a, a number of years around issues of immigrant rights in New Haven. And Ana Maria, welcome to our program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, and first of all, I want to ask, when we talk about uh, the move that New Haven made several years ago, essentially calling themselves a sanctuary city, and then coming through with the ID cards, what has been the the effect on the ground of that. Essentially, have people who are undocumented immigrants in New Haven been able to avail themselves of these services? Have many more undocumented immigrants moved to New Haven? What do we know by numbers uh, since uh, some of this took place? Well, in terms of numbers, um, since the ID card came out five years ago, um, I believe 11,000 undocumented residents of New Haven have registered for the card. Um, and now the city has been working on renewing those cards. Um, I believe that the card has given people a sense of permanence and a sense of um, essentially making them feel like they should feel that they are residents of the city and they have been residents, a lot of them, for a long time. Um, That's not to say that there are not problems with the card. Um, I think that the card should concentrate now on providing more services um, I also believe that we need to educate communities a little bit better about what the card is, what the services it brings. And we have been working with the city right now on that. We have been um, helping people feel more comfortable in obtaining the card, um, essentially you know, providing the opportunity to register for the card places at places that are a little bit less intimidating than City Hall is, because it can be intimidating for somebody. Um, so we have been hosting for the past month um, registration drives here at Junta, um, and we've registered about 45 people in the last month alone. Um, and that's all I have right now. <laughs> well, I, and let me bring in uh, our other guest, Angel Fernandez Chavero, who's joined us in the past mm-hmm. on this program. He's pastoral council leader at St. Rose of Lima Church. Uh, and uh, first of all, Angel, welcome back to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, and it's great to hear Diane and uh, Senator Looney. I, I'm wondering if, if you can give us an update on, on how things are in, in East Haven as of today. When we hear the the stories that have come out of your community and have come out of New Haven and Danbury over the course of the last couple of years, we do have very, very different pictures. But after the FBI raids of last year and the, uh, the unfortunate uh, comments uh, made about tacos uh, by the mayor, I guess I'm wondering uh, where we stand in East Haven as of this morning. Right. Well, you know, we're, um, those of us at St. Rose, we, we, we straddle both East Haven and New Haven. So we have a very interesting perspective on this. And it's um, uh, everybody it, on the East Haven side, you know, it's great that now the, the cops are no longer harassing the community. That's a terrific thing. Uh, the long term challenge for the town and the police department is to build trust with the community and anybody else uh, and other constituents and that's going to be a long-term thing and that's something they're going to have to work really hard on for now 
what uh, we're waiting for is to see who gets hired as the quote-unquote joint compliance expert who will essentially be uh, overseeing the police department in East Haven. And once that begins, then we can really uh, hopefully see how they uh, will implement policies and procedures that will build trust with the community. Uh, so, for- um I'm sorry, just quickly, it's, yes. it's a great comparison uh, to New Haven where uh, regardless of whether one agrees or not with the policies, the fact is that New Haven's uh, various neighborhoods where there is a Latino presence uh, are thriving, you know, in particular businesses. So I think it says something about the economic common sense that uh, uh, the city has really used in crafting some of these policies. And I'm wondering if, if you, uh, Angel, and, and certainly Ana Maria might be able to comment on, uh, we're, we're getting news today that later on in the day uh, there's going to be an announcement of uh, between Yale University, which has been handling a, a, a number of these issues through their law clinic, and the State Department of Correction over the Secure Communities Program. I know, Ana Maria, there's a big announcement coming up maybe about 10 minutes or so uh, from now, but maybe you can just preview and, and let us know exactly what this settlement means. Sure. Um, so in about 10 minutes, like you mentioned, we I'm going to be participating um, about in the settlement press conference here at Junta. Um, so almost exactly one year ago, um, when the federal authorities activated secure communities, um, Yale and Mr. Brizuela um, sued the Department of Corrections, and they had just reached a settlement against the DOC. Um, you know, I believe that this settlement is a first step in the right direction, one that has already proven um, to have led to fewer deportations here in Connecticut. Um, I believe that the exact numbers would be, you know, about turning over fewer than 10 people each month are turned over to ICE as a result of this DOC policy that the Department of Corrections instituted um, a year ago. However, um, I do believe that it's a start, but it's not the end of it. Uh, the DOC policy obviously does not um, cover all law, local law enforcement, and it doesn't cover judicial marshals. So there's definitely a loophole, loophole there that we're still working on. We've been talking to Ana Maria Forstieri, who's an analyst for the Junta for Progressive Action in New Haven, Angel Fernandez Chavero's pastoral council leader at St. Rose of Lima Church. I want to thank them both for joining us for a few minutes here on Where We Live. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Uh, as we can, as we continue our conversation, we're going to get some more of your phone calls at eight six zero two seven five seven two six six and find out a little bit more about the economic impact of immigrant communities here in the state. We're going to continue this conversation at one o'clock this afternoon on the Colin McEnroe Show. Please stay with us here on Where We Live. This is Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we'll talk about efforts to help African nations. We'll learn about economic and health care work being done in Kenya and Cameroon. We'll also hear from a documentary radio producer about his exploration of an island inhabited by mixed-race residents in the early part of the 20th century. It's a story about racism, eugenics, and fear in coastal Maine. I hope you can join us for that program. Today, it's a two-part conversation with us and the Colin McEnroe Show about immigration and immigration reform. We're taking your calls at 860-275-7266. Larry's in Middlefield. Hi, Larry. Go ahead. You're on where we live. Hey, hi. Doing Uh, well. Good. First of all, I was curious as to why you don't have any opposing views on your show. It seems like everybody you have is somebody who's very pro- uh, illegal immigration. My other thing is, I don't believe, I think my parents are legal immigrants. My daughter's a legal immigrant. I think you need to differentiate between people that are trying to help 
legal immigrants that are here and the illegals. I don't think we need to be helping the illegals. I think we need to have an immigration program similar to that in Canada and most of the Western European countries that would get rid of illegals and not tolerate them. When you say get rid of, what's what's the plan to do that, Larry? Well, I, I don't have the full plan. But, yeah, if you don't let them in and you don't allow them services and you don't allow them freebies, then they won't want to come here. Larry, Why they come yeah. here is, don't forget, in the state of Connecticut, yeah. the illegals get here and they're eligible for housing, they're eligible for food stamps, they're eligible for other welfare benefits, and, as long as, and also a free education. Uh, Larry, uh, thank you very much for your phone call. We have one more phone call here from Mike in New Haven. Hi, Mike. Go ahead. Hey, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to express the, the same uh, on the same lines as Larry just said. Uh, as a as a carpenter, uh, a legal uh, a legal resident of the state of Connecticut and the United States, um, the economic impact that that illegal immigration has had on me as a as a tradesperson. Um, it, it's been it's been pretty dramatic. You know, my my wages are affected, and I also lived in Arizona. When I lived in Arizona, uh, I was when I first moved there. I I responded to ads in the paper. I was looking at ads in the paper for uh, carpentry positions, and I saw um, that must speak Spanish to to apply, which I don't know. I just feel not represented, you know, in my in my own country. Um, well, w- one of the things that uh, Richard Blumenthal was talking about, Senator Blumenthal off the top, was was a plan that's a, sort of a bipartisan plan that has the backing of the president as well that would essentially make the comprehensive immigration reform something that would require people to speak English. It would require people to, uh, as our earlier call I was talking about, get in line behind people who are uh, going through the legal process. It would indeed uh, make people earn the right to continue to live here. Is that, Mike, the sort of comprehensive immigration reform that you would like to get behind? I, I, I'd like to see that. Um, I, I, you know, again, as a, as a resident, you know, legal person in, in uh, Connecticut, I don't have uh, medical insurance. I, I'm actually, you know, got a separated shoulder right now, but I'm living with it rather than taking advantage of the system. So I'm not paying into the system, you know, with my with my taxes because I'm not, you know, making enough money to be gainfully employed right now. Well, I, Mike, I, I appreciate your phone call very much. I, I want to get to Martin Looney because I know you wanted to make a point uh, about the economic impact of this. I, I, I don't think it can be understated that indeed in, in some of the communities where uh, Ill- illegal immigrants uh, undocumented people are able to work and live more freely. They do have, in some cases, a very positive economic impact. I think that's absolutely true. As uh, Diane said earlier, um, people in that category contribute greatly in terms of sales tax, property tax. But I think if you look at population numbers, for instance, in the 2010 census, the city of New Haven, for the first time in about six decades, had a population increase from 2000 to 2010 that equal the statewide average percentage increase for municipalities. And that's partly because of immigration, uh, partly because of a more vital economy, more housing, more economic development, uh, to which the immigrant uh, population, both documented and undocumented, has contributed.
1,500. Hartford and Bridgeport also had population increases for the first time in decades um, after years of population erosion. So there is a, a positive push uh, to people who are well-motivated, who are hardworking, who are looking to be employed, uh, and looking to come up the steps of the economic ladder in, in our state. And, and I know we just have a few minutes left, but I want to get to Mushfiq Mubarak, who's an assistant professor of economics at Yale University, who studies some of the economic impacts of this. And thank you, Professor, for joining us. And we do have just a few minutes left, but maybe you can give us a broad outline on some of the economic impacts when it comes to immigration that you've been studying. Sure. Uh, so given the two phone calls just now, let me be clear about uh, what uh, types of immigrants uh, that my studies are on, just so we're, we're clear about exactly what I can and cannot talk about. Uh, so I'm, I'll focus on uh, the question of high-skilled immigrants rather than uh, so, so people, for example, in, with advanced degrees in science and engineering, rather than people providing um, uh, lower end services. Yes. And within the high skilled immigrants, you know, there's also a confusion between, say, um, immigration policy with regards to foreign students, people coming on student visas, versus H-1B workers, which are work permits assigned uh, to people after they graduate. Uh, and and then a third group that uh, that President Obama and the senators have focused on, which is in uh, bringing in entrepreneurs and innovators to the country, you know, people who would start businesses. And so my, my research has something to say about the foreign students and about the innovators and not so much about H-1B workers. Um, so on foreign students, what, what we found is um, by looking at uh, data from the National Science Foundation that tracks every single PhD recipient in the U.S. as well as their country of origin, uh, what you find is that both American-born and foreign-born graduate students are important contributors to the creation of knowledge and innovation out of U.S. universities. And furthermore, um, the quality of the incoming students matters. So it turns out that visa policy currently, American visa policy, focuses a lot on people's ability to pay because of you know they have, they have to show enough assets to be able to come into this country, and not enough on uh, quality. And it turns out that high-quality students, rather you know people coming on scholarships, actually contribute a lot more to innovation produced by uh, universities in the United States. Um, and finally, you know, it, it also in the channel seems to be that diversity matters. So it's better to have a diverse group of foreign students rather than a whole bunch from one country. Mm. And second, um, you know, so that that's research on foreign students. And the second one I'll talk about is innovators and entrepreneurs. Well, so I, and here's what I'm going to have to do. I think we will have to pick up this conversation at a later point because there's so much more to talk about, and we've run low on time. And I apologize because uh, we do want to get more of that information. So let's uh, recontact uh, Mushik, uh, Mushfiq uh, Mubarak, who's an assistant professor of economics at Yale University. Our other guests today, Diane Alverio from ctlatinonews.com, Camilla Bortoletto, uh, who's policy coordinator for Connecticut Students for a Dream, and also State Senator Martin Looney. There's a lot more to talk about, obviously, and so we're going to continue this conversation at 1 o'clock today on The Colin McEnroe Show. I hope you can join us here on Where We Live. I'm John Dankosky. Thanks for joining us.